Talking Tech, well poking Smart. My name is Chad Syntax, a.k.a. the Kubernetes Keef Enjoyer. Uh, that was a bad one. <laughs> I was trying to get Kubernetes and Keef the same thing. That's, like, that's all I could come up with. Alright, uh, which kind of brings me easily into the first thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, celebrating the small wins. I personally fixed an issue today uh, with Kubernetes. Without any help from DevOps. Shocking, I know. Good lord. Kubernetes is just, uh, it's a friggin' learning curve and a half. I feel like I could really tackle it if I spent, like, a, a whole side project screwing around with it. I just don't have, like, I don't know, the, the brain power, the willpower to, like, really do that. At least not right now. Like, and, like even what would I even build? Like... I don't know, man. I don't know. I could probably just Google it, like, you know, fun Kubernetes projects. And then I could do it in Rust. Not a bad idea. Now you throw Rust in there. But yeah. Not, have, not having to ping someone from DevOps and wait three to five business days to get uh, a fix for the problem was good. I'm glad I was able to figure it out. You know, you can kind of figure these things out if you Google enough and you run enough Kubernetes commands and enough Kube cuddle, kube control commands, you'll eventually figure it out. But you know what's interesting is that it costs a, a bunch of money to, to run your own EKS cluster on AWS just to screw around with. Now, I'm not sure if I was doing the calculation right, but it would have cost like at least like a hundred bucks just to per month just to, you know, fuck around with that shit. You know, it's just it's a lot, you know. Perhaps it's like free on Google. I should probably should have looked that up on Google Cloud. Yeah, uh, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, Kubernetes is an orchestration framework made by Google. Um, you'll see it abbreviated as K8S, and it stands for Kubernetes. And it's kind of the the hot way to uh, run servers. You don't want to do it the old and busted way with like you know not load balancers in EC2, like a, like a, like a noob, you want to run, uh, an EKS cluster, uh, for whatever that means, you know, and just, like, orchestrate pods of containers and shit, I don't know, it's, it's a whole fucking ocean, another fucking black sea for, for me to dive into at some point or another, it seems really interesting, it's been described to me as one gigantic, uh, YAML file structure, and, uh, you know, it just, it'll, it'll, it'll do things based upon what changes in that YAML or, or whatnot. Yeah, you can do tons of things with it. I mean, like everyone in my company, it's like, I'm trying to like, you'll be like, hey, I want to build this thing. I'm thinking of a couple of lambdas and like, no, use Kubernetes. All right, fine. I guess I'll use Kubernetes then. So it's a cool thing to learn. It, it does cool stuff. I, I I would imagine. It seems like a total black box to me half the time. But I'm slowly learning it. 
Uh, yeah. So that's that's that. Let's move on to something I do know about. Uh... <laughs> okay, I don't know actually very much about this next one, but it's it's a title episode. You know, like uh, I I did put my website on the blockchain. Now you can go ahead and open up your browser chadsyntax.eth or chadsyntax.eth.link and that will bring you to a decentralized version of my website and i i kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the journey to kind of do that to to kind of get there and this is part of the reason why i think that like web3 is just uh it's not there early or maybe it's just it's not supposed to be there in this regard but like all I want to do is like spit, you know, throw a static generated website, which is a pretty small footprint, all things considered, up onto the decentralized Web three, the internet, right? The decentralized web. How do you do such a thing? Well, number one, you're gonna need a donate domain name, which is uh, ENS. I think it it's relatively new. I think it only popped up uh, within the past few years, but you go to ENS and you purchase a domain, but you do it with Ethereum. You say, I want chadsyntax.eth or you want whatever.eth. And uh, yeah, you, per- you spend however many Ethereum for the domain name and you pay more for how much longer you want to squat on the domain name for. So, you know, you'll pay more, you pay a lot more Ethereum for holding on to it for like 50 years versus five years versus one year, right? Once you buy that, now you have to fill in all of the records. Uh, now, it's kind of set up to be more of a social media profile, it kind of seems. Like, that's kind of the direction it goes. Like, it it asks for, like, you know... Well, it doesn't ask. You can put it in there uh, if you want. You can put your Twitter handle, your GitHub handle, uh, whatever dumb handles you want to throw in there. And you can link up to an NFT as being, like, you know, the NFT that you own. Uh, I have my plops there. I purchased one NFT just just to say that I did it so I could hook it up to the CNS thing. Uh, but I, I filtered by price low to high, and there was some actual garbage shit on OpenSea for real. Uh, and there was this collection called plops where it's literally like piles of shit made out of like 8-bit and like art style, and they look awful. But... Mine has like a top hat and glasses and it's pink and <laughs> for whatever reason it made me laugh so so hard. So I, I just bought the thing. Uh it didn't have any price, it was seemingly like free. So I was like, ah, okay, it's weird. I feel I feel like I would have had to pay some for it. But whatever. Perhaps I did it wrong. I don't think I did, but I purchased the thing, hooked it up to my ENS. Uh in order to even do any of that shit, by the way, first you gotta have like, you know, a wallet to pay for any of this stuff through. And this is kind of a pain. Setting up a MetaMask and downloading that is, like, pretty easy. But going through the rigmarole of, like, getting the funds there, like, I had to, I had to, I mean, I have a whole, I had a whole bunch of Ethereum on my Coinbase. Uh, and that, But you need to download, like, a separate app for Coinbase in order to, like, send the funds. So I had to do that, and then I had to, like, transfer it over. And then, I, then, like, it wasn't enough Ethereum to purchase the domain name, so I had to purchase more because gas fees are so variable. It was difficult to tell how much I needed to actually be used. So I was, like, transferring over, like, you know, increments of Ethereum at, like, $50 at a time to being like, all right, is this enough? Uh, is this, okay, this is enough. Let's go. Buy the thing. 
And I thought it was all good from there. But it turns out in order to like save the things like your Twitter handle or your NFT to the ENS record, that's an operation on the blockchain. So that costs, you know, money as well. And gas pretty expensive. So yeah, it cost me like hundreds of dollars in order to save that shit. I think it's much cheaper now. I think gas has kind of gone down with the whole crypto winter thing. Plus, I think they're doing like, you know, that revamp of Ethereum soon. So it's gas is supposed to be cheaper in the future. But uh, it cost me hundreds of dollars just to just to create the equivalent of a of a C name record. If you're, if you're not familiar with that is, you know, for with a regular ass domain like TTPSpodcast.com, you purchase that from a registrar, costs you however much money per year. I bought it from Route 53 on AWS because I'm lazy and I wanted everything to be in AWS. Cost me like 10 bucks a year for however many years I, I leased it for, right? And then creating a C name record is free at that point. You just create it. You can add a bajillion records as you want, but like you can only make so many records. I mean, you can only have one record per ENS domain name at the current present moment, as far as I can tell. And it costs, you know, many monies to to deploy that up to the blockchain so it can be so it can be out there so you can go to chadsyntax.eth and then that routes you to my website now you'll also notice like once you go there it doesn't stay there in the browser it will it will end up with what does it look like it ends up with a crazy hash dot ipfs dot dweb dot link which is like odd. You'd imagine that would stay at like chadsyntax.eth. It's not like when you go to ttpspodcast.com, it doesn't just like change the address bar to say like whatever, uh, you know, IP address it's actually pointing to, right? Like it stays there. And it's because it's like redirecting to a IPFS uh, gateway, as far as I understand it. IPFS is this nebulous, uh, you know, file system for you know, all these decentralized apps, right? It's kind of like the the free version of S3, except it's completely decentralized and slow as balls. Um, That's pretty much where everyone hosts their NFTs. If they're doing it, quote-unquote, correctly, Uh, if you're a dipshit NFT person, then you host your images on, like, fucking Google Images or Imgur or some shit. Just like the dumb, just like the you know the dumb way to do it. If you look at your NFT and you see that it's like hosted on Imgur or Google or whatever, you might as well just fucking get rid of it, dog. Because like that person had no idea what the fuck they were doing, or they did and they don't give a shit. <laughs> Either way, I mean, if you're gonna do it, you might as well do it right. Which is why I was like, all right, I'm gonna put my website. I'm not gonna just have my chat syntax eth redirect to ttpspodcast.com. That's fucking lame. I want to like host my shit on Web three. So I did. So I took my website, a statically deployed website, which you can do. To be honest, it was actually pretty easy to do this. And I deployed it up to IPFS. Uh, there was this NPM package I installed, made it pretty easy. I also used Pinata. Pinata. I think it's supposed to be pronounced Pinata, like a you know, like the like the thing you smack with a baseball bat and candy comes out of. But it's a website you can go to and you can like put stuff on IPFS and you can pin it there, and then you get this big long hash of like, you know, where it's pointing to in your index.html, right? And then you take that big old hash and you go to your ENS domain name and you hook that up and you say like, yeah, chat detects the EDH points to this, this uh, IPFS hash, right? And boom, Bob's your uncle. You're on the web three with your static website. Was it cool? Yeah, 
Um, I haven't deployed again there because it costs many monies to <laughs> to like I, to to because every time you update the website, you get a different hash, right? Because functionally, the data has changed, and I've deployed a bunch of times, which means that I'd have to like if I were to. I'd have to go and redeploy up to IPFS, get a new hash, take that hash, manually save it to my ENS, and like submit that uh, every single time I deployed. Could I automate that? Maybe. Uh, would I want to pay the however much money it costs for me to do that every single time? No, I deploy like all the friggin' time. It's like GitHub pages. Like whenever I push to main, it deploys, okay? It's a static website, okay? We're not talking about Kubernetes rollouts here. It's like a simple-ass static site. Yet it cost me a bunch of money just to, like, deploy it. It's like, so I was like, fuck it, you know, we'll keep the V1 of the website up on chatsyntax.eth, and it will look cool. Maybe one day I'll update it. We'll find out. But that's the kind of effort that you're looking at if you want to, like, actually have your website on uh, on a decentralized platform. You know, that's 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 what it looks like to have your web three your website on web three so to speak right and that's just like the like static site front end shit i'm not even talking about like connecting up to like a back end and whatnot like you could make it like i could make it so you like log in through metamask and then like you know you could do some shit if i was like you know i had the willpower to do anything like that and actually create like a full full stack web three app but yeah, that seems like a lot of effort and a lot of money uh, in Ethereum that I don't want to pay <laughs> just to screw around in, you know? So annoying. All right. So I, I just want to talk about that. I put my website on the blockchain. It's on the. It's cool, guys. It's neat. Uh, is it anywhere close to as practical as Web 2 at this stage for me for what I just did? Absolutely fucking not. It was just as easy to purchase a regular-ass domain name, and it was way cheaper uh, to hook it all up and to get it running. Uh, and also it was way faster. Like you can deploy to GitHub pages and shit's quick. But you deploy to IPFS and then it's just like, first time you land there, it takes way longer than any other static site should because it's got to like load up other shit from IPFS, which is slow as balls. And uh, I'm sure maybe one day they'll figure out a way to cache all that stuff and make it quicker or not. But by definition, it's probably not gonna get faster or at least not as fast as like web 2 stuff but you know what i i always have these reservations on web 3 or whatever i don't want to say it's complete and absolute garbage even though it kind of looks like it to me right now but you never know in the future this web 3 shit could take could actually be good you know from an engineering perspective maybe not looking good <laughs> I, I i go to that website what's it called web 3 is going great.com yeah that's that's pretty funny <laughs> it's a pretty funny site but, you know, call me when, uh, when Web 4 comes out, you know, <laughs> it's like every, it's like, it's like the node, it's like Node.js versions. It's like every other version is in long, long term, uh, an L long, LTS long, uh, what does that stand for? Crap. I should know this off the top of my head. Uh, long term stable, long term support, right? Yeah, fuck it. Whatever. You can Google that. Tell me which one it is. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's move on to the, the programming, uh, you know, term of the episode. Mono repo. What is that? What do, what do people mean when they say a mono repo? 
really what they say what they're saying is they want to get Lerna working. <laughs> uh, Lerna is one of many of these of the uh, tools out there that helps you set up a monorepo structure. So back in the day, in in like 2000, you know, 12, <laughs> you would make a uh, you'd make a monolith, right? You would make a Ruby on Rails uh, web app. And you would just keep adding to it and adding to it and adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. And you would have these massive, massive repositories full of all kinds of everything, the front end, the back end, uh, what other ends would go in there? I don't know. Uh, but just a lot of like you can host a lot of code in there, right? Like imagine if your website had like 2000 separate pages. And they all re- rendered like different stuff. That's a, that's a lot of code. All in one place. And that'd be a lot of, uh, and say you had a team of like hundreds of uh, people working on that thing. That's a lot of MRs to be merged into one code base at a single time. Uh, you know, it's a, a lot of things are changing in the code base. It'd be hard to separate things out, test it correctly. So that's kind of, uh, you know, my experience with Monorepo is that uh, you end up with like some big, big thing that should be broken up into smaller things. But sometimes the things that you're splitting up and breaking away, you kind of lose some of the first-class support that you had when it wasn't a monolith, right? Like, when everything was together, it was easy to import from, like, one file to the next. It was easy to reuse stuff, right? You kind of lose that if you had, like, a, if you had ten separate repositories instead of one, you're completely decoupled. And at that point, you might start duplicating stuff, even though you don't necessarily need to be doing that. You know, or it's not efficient to be doing that, right? Who needs to make the same button seven different times? That's why you would take the shared things and you'd put it into like a, a shared package, right? Uh, so what Monorepo does is it allows you to have something where you have multiple packages in a single repository that you can kind of like, you know, install and run. Uh, piecemeal. So that way you're not working on the entire thing all at once. Uh, that way you could be only working on a subset of stuff, the stuff that you care about, and let all the other teams work on whatever they're working on. And Lerna is a very popular uh, framework that allows people to do that. Uh, there are also those, that's the only one I've really worked with, to be honest. It's like, you know, pretty popular uh, for the most part. But there's, there's others that are like, you know, making their way, making their way to be more popular. I mean, Yarn workspaces are are also out there. I mean, I've used that in the past, uh, not to an, not to a degree the same as Lerna, uh, but it it it's somewhat similar. It's kind of like you know, instead of having one Yarn install, you'd have like three Yarn installs, right? With like a single uh, with a single lock to to keep it all strung together. Um, apparently, you know, npm has npm workspaces, something similar. Uh, there's other things like Turbo Repo. There's also something called Yalk. I don't know what the heck that is. But I'm looking at these from the uh, State of JS survey, which is a great resource, by the way, if you're looking for new frameworks or new things to try out. Uh, that is a website that is basically like a giant, uh, survey of, uh, developers, right? Uh, or, you know, JavaScript developers in this case. I think there's also, like, a state of CSS uh, survey out there. I'm sure there's some other, like, state of whatever surveys that are out there. But as a full-stack engineer, 
I like going here because it talks about front-end frameworks, back-end frameworks, testing, mobile and desktop, build tools, monorepos, libraries, features, etc. It's like, it's pretty good to know, like, all right, what is out there other than Lerna? Okay, what is out there other than Jest? What are people using? What is what is gaining interest? Uh, what is, like, new? And it's pretty awesome because we'll ask you questions like, you know, Puppeteer. Uh, if you've used it, have you liked it? Uh, do you have any interest in using it? Do you use it currently? Uh, are you even aware of its existence? Because you'll see like these new, fr- like these other frameworks, like pop up out of nowhere, like like Ava. Like what is that? It's uh, apparently a testing framework, and uh, I wasn't aware about it, aware of it till right just now. Uh, apparently, it has seven uh, percent usage across the uh, the industry. Uh, Jest has really taken over. It looks like Jest is the top one, then Mocha, then Storybook, then Cypress, then Jasmine. So, yeah, so it's, you know, like all the, you can find like new stuff. I like going there. And uh, Monorepo is one of the things I, I went there to look at the other ones that are out there. So, getting back to what a Monorepo is. Uh, so, let's say, for example, uh, let's say, for example, you have a website that's got multiple parts to it. Like, you know, you have a, like a, a, a shop, like e-commerce stuff. Then you have some like, you know, marketing landing pages that have a completely different design language. Then say you have like, you know, an article section, like a support center type deal. Um, then say you have like another section that's uh, behind like off and has to do with like you know looking that person would log in to view their current like statuses of orders and customer service requests and whatnot you could like split all four of those things up into separate repos and do the routing elsewhere and like have four separate repos for whatever but if you're using like the same baseline like language and say using the same baseline like uh components to render all this stuff because usually when you when you do all these things like, you know, the design department ain't working with four separate design languages and four separate color palettes and four separate everythings, right? They're, they're going to try to reuse as much as possible because that's more efficient to work in. Same thing with we engineers. We probably want to use the same stupid header component everywhere, right? You won't have to want to build that four times. So you might split up, you know, take all of the shared things that are, like, used by everybody, and you might put that into, like, a core package or a shared package. Then you would have a separate package for each vertical of the website. And then you would make it so that, you know, each one of those four verticals would depend on the core one so that if the core one gets published, then uh, you kind of get an action to publish your own vertical as well. And so that way you're able to kind of keep everything as under one repo and you can like run certain commands to be like, hey, I want to run the support center. Hey, I want to run the... uh, the user center. Hey, I want to run the product center and like, you know, have commands built out for each one of those. And each one of those, or you could be like a run the core and, you know, running the core could mean just like spinning up a storybook that shows you all the components that are in the core, all the shared functions, all the shared react hooks, whatever. And yeah, and that's the way that I've worked with monorepo in the past. Uh, I've worked with it with Yarn Workspaces in a way to make sure that we could like deploy multiple lambdas from like the same repo. Uh, it didn't work out super great. I think that we ended up moving off of that eventually, but whatever. Tale as old as time. Got to refactor things eventually. Am I right? All right. Um, let's move on to the last guy here. Uh, this question. 
I am an undergraduate student looking forward to getting a job as a full-stack dev in the next two years. I have been coding for some time and I've noticed CSS is extremely hard when combined together how they show up on screen. Every time I watch React tutorials or other tutorials online, it seems like the instructor and other coders write almost everything from scratch when it comes to CSS, like making things responsive, customizing their liking, etc. Do you struggle to code CSS? Is there any tip on how to get over this? Anytime I start a new project, this becomes really daunting for me, and this is part of the part that takes up the most time when doing projects. In this situation, is it maybe okay to use pre-coded templates, maybe? Um, pre-coded templates? Uh, not really, no. I don't think that's really a thing. What you're probably asking is, like, is it okay to use, like, CSS frameworks that abstract away all of the actual nitty-gritty CSS, you know, rules and values instead of having to do all of that yourself. They're like Tailwind. I, I, I never use these things, by the way. I, I straight up write my CSS every single time. Unless, like, ah, this could be a whole episode talk about, like, component libraries and whatnot, but I have been writing CSS from scratch since the beginning. Uh, I mean, like, I've, I've screwed around with Bootstrap before. I screwed around with Tailwind before. Uh, I find them to be pretty bloaty, and they make your website look really samey to other things. Now, to be fair, that's more of a bootstrap problem. Like, you know, you could, like, look at a website and be like, yeah, this is bootstrap for sure. But that was, you know, a long time ago. Nowadays, it's not as simple. Um, and even with, like, you know, newer component libraries, I guess you would be able to look at that component and be like, oh, yeah, that's material UI. You're looking at, oh, yeah, that's uh, ant design for sure. But Maybe not as, uh, perhaps it's the same issue, but like, you know, you don't want your stuff looking samey. You don't want to look at your website looking like somebody else's. Anyway. Yeah, CSS is definitely a struggle. It's like straight up, you know, you've got to know the rules and what they do, right? And you got to know the patterns uh, that make things work uh, to form the UI components that you're, you're uh, attempting to build. Like the, the main things that I give for advice when learning CSS is, you know, first you got to learn the box model. And you have to learn how, like, the box model works with other elements, you know, playing off of each other. Like, if I have, like, two display inline uh, elements and I try giving one some margin and it doesn't push away the other, it's like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. You know, understanding why that doesn't happen. Or, like, you know, putting two things as display block and then they, like, stack on top of each other. Like, why does that happen? You know, if I do position absolute, like, why, why is it going there? If I do position fixed, why is it going there? You know, you have to know, like, what these rules do. It's straight up, like, memory card memorization, right? It's like, what does the left property do? What does the uh, font, what does font size mean? What is line height? What is letter spacing? Like, you have, you should just, like, know what all these are. There's, like, so many rules to, to learn. It is daunting. It just comes with time of, like, trying to build UI things over and over again. I think that, like, does you the best uh, when, when really trying to learn CSS, so... That's what I say. Learn the box model, learn all the properties, and then, you know, build some things out of them in order to really understand it. Like you have to learn you have to learn like common 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 things, right? Like a, a header that has like position sticky that follows you on the page. You should learn how to make a modal, like a pretty simplistic modal where it's like you click on a thing and it like pops up with like a faded background with like a, a white box in the middle with a little close icon. Like you should be able to make all of that. 
I think making a modal is a pretty decent, you know, display of CSS skill if you can make that from scratch, right? Yeah, and then when you go past that, like, you know, learning how to uh, effectively use uh, preprocessors and, like, using other languages built into it, because any time, like, it's so hard for me to write regular-ass CSS these days. Uh, it's such a pain. Like, I guess maybe perhaps I'm just spoiled because I've been writing SCSS or SAS for so long. Uh, but man, I, I really need to have like, <laughs> I really need to have like child selectors as like indents inside the brackets. You know, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't rewrite that. I can't write that duplicate, duplicative code that much. It just kind of drives me insane. Man, I miss the OG SAS stuff, man, but. I digress. I mean, CSS and JS, definitely the way to go these days. Learning something like styled components or motion uh, is the way to go. If you're doing stuff with React and whatnot, um, if you're just building a regular-ass static website, um, maybe it's not so much of a thing you have to learn, but like writing all that CSS can get annoying. And if you're not doing any code splitting, you can end up you know, loading all the CSS for the whole site. Uh, which isn't good for performance, right? You only want to learn. You probably only want to load the CSS you want to load uh, for the page you're looking at. So it kind of requires extra tooling to kind of go around it, uh, which is why things like SAS and CSS and JS exist in the first place. So yeah, I mean, like most people struggle with it because they don't spend enough time on it, or like spend the time to actually learn what the box model is, or uh, what like CSS three things are, because you can get a lot done with CSS3. You can achieve a lot of cool effects. And if people spend more time learning that stuff, I think they would enjoy what they're making. Scaling elements and transition, like, you know, translating elements is super fun. And with that, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it right here. Just leave it right on your desk. And I hope you have a good rest of your working day. Talk to you next time. The internet is tubes. Tubes, tubes can be filled. And if they're filled, the internet is going to be delayed. A series of tubes. The internet is providers. The internet is consumers. The internet is you and me. The internet is not a big truck. The people who are streaming through a whole book at a time. Maybe there is a place for the internet. And again, the internet is a series of tubes. Hey, where'd you look at you? You made it through the whole thing. Congratulations, that's awesome. If you feel like feeding me material, go ahead and email me at query at ttpspodcast.com. If you want to be a guest on the show and discuss software engineering in all of its forms, uh, contact me at guest at ttpspodcast.com. If you happen to want to sponsor the show or just give me money for no reason, that's business at ttpspodcast.com. And then just ttpspodcast.com. Go there and see episodes and look at the website I made for it. Yeah. All those emails go to me. Uh, It's a one-man show over here. Uh, It's all an illusion. But I like the folders that the different emails make. So...